and welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Stryker. I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your hosts. My name is Aaron. I am also one of your hosts. And also an actor. Yeah, I'm making my big debut. Making your big return, debut. Return, my return. Your, your return to my, the stage. My Kihu Kwan, Brendan Fraser moment is coming up. Yeah, and you're probably going to win a Betty Mitchell Award for it. <laughs> in a theater award. A regional theater award <laughs> like a in tw- Calgary, Alberta. Yeah, like a 20-person capacity theater. <laughs> uh, for four nights only this a, April. A 20-person capacity theater, and 10 of the people are in the cast. And I play a character named Oliphant. 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 Oliphant, like yeah. an elephant? No. Oh, it's his name is James Oliphant. James Oliphant. He's a barrister. Oh, okay. He's not an animal? No. Oh, I thought he was <laughs> an elephant. <laughs> he's an animal of the law. An animal of the law. Yeah. Like he's a lawyer? Yeah. Ooh. That's what I got across with the word barrister. Barrister. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's I, that I, I thought that word meant something else. What did you think that meant? Were you going to fart? No, I was just bouncing the mic on my oh. knee, and Sam gave me a dirty look. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, I thought that a barrister was like a barista. Oh, yeah, of the law. Okay, so yeah. they serve they serve you. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose so, in a way. Um, but, yeah, it's a really, really interesting uh, play. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, I'm sure everybody that's in the play listens to our podcast. So. I'm, I'm sure they do. Yeah. We are, in fact, the number one English-speaking mm-hmm. music history podcast in Chile. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that. We should get T-shirts made with that on mm. it because uh, I think that would be Amazing. Nice. That's like not a bad idea. That one and anal contusions. With- yeah, we've been talking about making t-shirts. Yeah. Um, I've thought about it quite a bit, actually. I've had some long, extensive thoughts about <laughs> lengths of sleeves, yeah. types of materials. I definitely think like uh, like anal contusions should be like a baseball tee like this. Yeah. I feel like that would be a good one. Well, you need like length to get... You get, know, to cause the contusions. To you cause need, the contusions. You, yeah, you don't want to get your sleeve to get dirty. It's like, it's like when yeah. you, like, have you ever seen how they preg check cows and horses? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you shove your arm up the uh, yeah. cow uh, I can't vagina. say it's, like, content I, like, enjoy in my spare time. No, but I, I just grew up watching it a lot because I had to because I lived <laughs> on a ranch. You're like, ooh, can I see mom? Mom, 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 No, mom. dude, I just had to, like, <laughs> fucking watch a dude fist 300 cows every yeah. year. The cow's like, oh, fuck. And he'd be again. like, the vet would, like, shove his arm in and be like, Yup, pregnant. And then if it wasn't, then we'd just shoot the cow. It's like, here's a daily routine. First, they aggressively vacuum my nipples, and then they shove their fists up my ass. <laughs> you know what? I have to say this, though. Like, as far as content that I'm watching right now, mm-hmm. my absolute favorite thing to watch, and it's going to sound so stupid, but my favorite thing to watch is the Hoof GP. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. yeah. It's a Scottish guy, and he, he trims dairy cow hooves, mm-hmm. and it's the most satisfying fucking videos ever, and he's, like, very nice and charismatic. It's very wholesome content. Nice. Uh, and I, I just dig it. I, I'll watch, like, four hours of it. We've been watching recently, and I want no judgment here, but we've been watching The Geordie Shore. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the British version of Jersey Shore. They're they're all like, you fucking what now? Yeah. Oh, they always say they talk to them. They talk about themselves in like the third person. They're like, they're they're mugging us off. Like they're just talking about individuals. Yeah. It's actually a really entertaining watch. It's a good psycho. It's good to psychoanalyze the mindset of these people. Um, There's a really like back and forth relationship where um, the one guy keeps fucking this one girl in the house, but he also wants to. Um, you know, fuck other girls at the clubs. Um, they call pulling birds is what they say. We're pulling birds. I want to pull birds. Um, but he let the girl know in the house that he called her a banker. It's like, oh yeah, if I can't get cash at the club, I'll just come get the banker at home. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and she accepts it. She Dude, accepts what it. The fuck? Yeah, she accepts it. It's fantastic. I television. love the contrast of what we're watching currently. I know <laughs> we've been we've been really into it. I don't but know. we're both watching UK culture. Yeah. At its finest. Yeah, no, they're a real interesting fucking bunch from Newcastle, and they fight about the weirdest things. They get angry about the weirdest things. Um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, no, the one episode we just watched, it was like the most ridiculous fight. These two people are a couple, not the ones I was talking about. These other people in the house are a couple. And they went out to sing karaoke, 
and like one of the girls like her friends are up singing and she's like joking around she like took her bra off and like threw it on stage but you can't see her titties or anything like she she's like out in public and the boyfriend was like oh my god she disrespect me in front of all my friends in front of the whole club she disrespect me take her bra off i can't believe how disrespectful she is oh my god mugging me off like that mugging us off in front of the whole fucking crowd at the bar in fucking cancun mexico like fucking losing his mind he's so disrespectful wait they were in mexico yeah they went to cancun oh Oh shit! Yeah, he was so mad, and then, then they started. For fist- some reason, I don't imagine British people in Mexico ever. No, but then they started fist fighting. Like, they started like actually physically assaulting each other. Ooh. Yeah, they showed it on TV. It was awesome. It's a great Dude, watch. I, I I love how uh, I love how there's people out there that are just totally willing to be like the trash butt of the joke without mm-hmm. acknowledging that. Yeah, you the know? best part. Their name is Ricky and Vicky. Ricky and Vicky. Ricky and Vicky. <laughs> it's good watch. Anyways, that's my recommendation of the week. Watch Jordy Shorts on Crave. All right. Um, good I'm watch. Gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna maybe check it out. I probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's really only good when you're like a little like super baked and a little like, super baked. little super baked <laughs> with your significant other, and you're like. <clears throat> you're munching on the couch and you're like look how ridiculous these human beings are yeah while you pick while i pick crumbs off my belly yeah um yeah it's good watch i I know the feeling yeah i know the feeling speaking of feelings yes i'm feeling like people should probably get tickets to my sad cry haha tour nice good Uh, transition the uh invermere may 13th uh swift current may 19th medicine hat the 20th the 27th, I'm in Kelowna. Nice. Uh, and then I am on Vancouver Island, June 2nd to 6th. So get your tickets. Come on out. Come laugh at me. Nice. That's great, man. I'm really happy with my hour. You're going to love it. He's been working on it very hard. I've been working on it. That's why we're not drinking today. No, no I'm, beers uh, today. I'm, I'm, I'm dead sober until I have this hour nailed. Nice. I'm proud of you. Which uh, might be a month, might be three months. We mm. don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I love it. We don't. Know. I love it. Yeah, today we're drinking a whole fat cup of nothing. Fat cup of nothing. I forgot but to make coffee before the the fellas got here. That's okay. I'll live without any coffee. I did have a Red Bull. I'm still Ooh. waiting to kick in. So the Red Bull. Yeah, the did, Red Bull. So you're gonna have wings. Yeah, possibly. You're gonna have wings. Um, speaking what of a- wings, we're doing a Paul Mc. No. <laughs> 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 we are not. Um, but we are back again this week. With another fun segment. With another fun segment. From, this is our newest segment, from, and we have a theme song. Do we? We no, have we one don't. now. Oh. I was I was really hoping that somebody would have made one in the <laughs> in the two days since the episode came out, but no one has made a theme song yet. Fair but enough. I will say this: uh, uh, we were tagged in a video because uh, the Sunstrokes bassist Andrew Elderbridge was putting our stickers on his acoustic bass and singing the song and his wife secretly filmed him doing it and then she was like what are you doing and he's like just singing the song <laughs> it was actually very wholesome it was a very wholesome yeah video. i saw the video yesterday and my heart my heart grew again it was um, very cute yeah it, it was, was very cute it made yeah. me very happy okay so the segment yes this is our special one it is Sam, Sam the Tech Vance, Today in Music History. Woohoo! All right, this day is March 22nd. March 22nd, let's go. <coughs> what happened? Enlighten me on the things that have happened on March 22nd. All right. 1978, the police signed to A&M Records. The band mm-hmm. scored over 15 UK top 40 hits with the label, including the worldwide number one, Every Breath You Take. Nice. Creepiest song ever. One of the creepiest songs ever, yeah. In 2009, Lady Gaga started a three-week run at number one on the UK singles chart with Poker Face. Nice. Her, That's a good song. Her second UK chart topper and number one hit in over 20 countries. Nice. That's pretty good. 1997, Puff Daddy... Featuring May started a six-week run at number one on the U.S. singles chart with Can't Hold Me, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, his first U.S. number one, a number 19 hit on the U.K. charts. Nice. <laughs> please, please. In 1992, Polygram no. Records officially announced that Tears for Fears had split up, uh, even though Roland Orzabel continued using the name Tears for Fears. Mm. During their career, they scored 15 UK top 40 singles hits and two US number ones. They later reformed in 2004. Nice. That's good. Good for them. 
Okay, this is actually a good one. Nice. <laughs> the other one sucked. <laughs> In 2013, My Chemical Romance announced their breakup after 12 years as a band. Mm. Uh, they then returned in 2019. I have a, I have I'm a blaming them for the pandemic. I have a fun fact for you. Oh, um, you probably might know this, but did you know Gerard Way is Joe Rogan's cousin? No. Yeah. That's wow. A, that's a fun little tidbit. Yeah, but they never met each other, and they they're like distance cousins. That's but, actually super cool. Yeah, he's Joe Rogan's cousin. So that's a fun little fact for you. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. It's it's wild because like they're not. A great band. You don't like My Chemical Romance? I hate My Chemical Romance. Really? Dude, it's so whiny and annoying. I, I mean, I think they had their moment. I think they were good. Yeah, I think that at the time when all the like emo fucking... Yeah. That was all going off when Panic at the Disco started getting big. My Chemical Romance, 30 Second to Mars. Ugh. They had their. They were kind of leading the, the pack there for a while. I honestly think that might be my least favorite genre of music. That actually out... That outdoes trap and mumble rap for me really yeah that period of time like from like what 2006 to like i'd say 2008 yeah that you were really popping off that wasn't yeah. your your time eh? i fucking hated it i oh, fair enough. i really really like it actually like gives me anxiety when i it hear really was it was kind of my thing i remember i had this awful fucking haircut <laughs> i was like eight or nine years old pudgy fat kid and i shaved the back of my head and then yeah, i yeah. had bangs <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was not a good look. Dude, I had I had shoulder length blonde hair mm. in that time period. I remember we went to we used to go to a home hairdresser and I was like just like fuck me up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and she did. And she did. And fuck I thought it was so cool. Yeah. Dude, that's so funny. Okay, so in 2016, a tribe called Quest rapper Fife Dog died in Contra Costa County, California due to complications relating to diabetes at the age of 45. Mm. Now, 1984, Queen filmed the video for I Want to Break Free at Limehouse Studios in London, nice. England, directed by David Mallet. It was a parody of the northern British soap opera Coronation Street, with the band members dressed in drag. Guitarist Brian May later said, The video ruined the band in America and was initially banned by MTV in the U.S. <laughs> That's one person I do not like is fucking Brian May. Yeah. He's a dickhead. Remember when he was going to do the Queen movie and he thought that uh, Freddie Mercury dying is like the middle of the movie? Yeah. Uh, what a fucking idiot. It's like idiot. the middle of the Queen story. Yeah, it's like, no, dude, that's the end of it. Yeah, that's the end of the Queen story. Nobody gives a fuck about anything else except for Freddie Mercury's no, voice. No, I, uh, yeah, I, on might be a hot take here too i thought that movie sucked oh yeah it was horrible and, yeah. and remy malik did not deserve best actor no for that. and i thought the editing was really poor was so yeah. bad uh, it, it, i don't know what it is about movies that are like biopics of musicians but they hardly ever do a good job walk the line is one of the yeah, better walk ones. the line was okay um was it ray was pretty good yep Rocket Man. that's Rocket Man was okay. I thought that the editing in that one was fucking weird too, though. But the worst one was definitely Bohemian Rhapsody. Out yeah, of that little spurt there a couple of years ago. Although, although, although the Tupac movie, fucking oh, that was <laughs> I, I I made the mistake of going to see that in the in the theater. Oof, that was bad. There's like one scene right off the top where he's like in a drama class and he's just like. To be or not to be, that is the question. And then the drama teacher's like, this is our lead, this is Hamlet! <laughs> and I'm like, that is not how that works, first of all. Second of all, that was the worst rendition of that I've ever seen. That reminds me of, uh, that takes me back, but have you ever seen the movie O? No. So it's a, like a modern retelling of Othello, Ooh. but it takes place in a high school, and like all the kids are on like Iago and Othello are all on a basketball team. Ooh. Yeah, it's a, it's it's got some good music. It's got music by fucking um, Blackstar, uh, Mos Def, and uh, Talib Kweli. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, but was, I watched it in high school. It was like uh, we had a really hip English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let's do Othello. We're going to watch this movie. Interesting watch. I'd have to rewatch it before I would recommend it, but um, I recommend it to you. Okay, and then we could talk about it. I will. I will yeah. check it out. All right. Now the last fun fact, mm -hmm. uh, or, or today in music history, in 2006, Aerosmith cancels the rest of the Rock in the Joint tour, so lead singer Steven Tyler can have throat surgery to treat strained vocal cords. Mm, interesting. Yeah, which uh, I am actually like uh, like Aerosmith is one of those bands that I, I really dig because it reminds me a lot of my childhood because one of my uh, babysitters 
uh, used to listen to nothing but Aerosmith. Nice in the in the in his in his jacked up truck as we'd be driving along to the beaches on Kootenay Lake, mm-hmm. and then he'd be hanging out with girls, and I was like, "Yeah, these girls are cute." Speaking of hanging out with girls, I, one question I have is, how come Steven Tyler hasn't caught any heat for fucking taking that child? And like taking over, he had like a relationship with like a thirteen or fourteen year old girl. What? Yeah, in the seventies, and he took he got the parents to sign over guardianship, and he took her on tour, and he just like got her fucked up on drugs, and was just like fucking her like in the seventies. You never heard about this? No. Yeah. I think he's got more recently. There's been a lot more. Yeah, there's been a little more heat on him, but like the sixties and seventies with rock stars fucking children. Dude, Ted Nugent fucking. Courtney Love when she was 12. Yeah, and like fucking, um, I know the Rolling Stones got a bit of a dodgy history with that, too. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, fucking Steven Tyler. I was about to say uh, uh, Steven Adams, who's a basketball player. Steven Tyler, uh, to be (laughs) clear. uh, Steven Tyler, yeah, you should look into it, because there's a whole little section of his life where he took guardianship over this child and took her on tour. That's so fucked. And he was, like, super... This is when he was super into drugs and the fucking... I had no idea that Liv Tyler's mom was 13 when (laughs) Steven met her. Yeah, I don't don't think she's the mother, but um, you never know. (laughs) You never know. I'm sure he's got some mystery children. All Um, right, so, releases today. Yes. Vance Joy releases his debut EP, God Loves You When You're Dancing, in 2013. Mm. John Lennon releases Power to the People in the U.S. in 1971. Nice. The Eagles release On the Border in 1974. Elvis Presley released the single All Shook Up in 1957. Wow. And Bob Dylan's first album featuring his electric guitar, Bring It Back Home, was released in 1965. Wow. There you go. That's a... The Bob Dylan was the best out of the whole lot there, I gotta say. You know what? I'm doing all right right now. <laughs> Getting it all fucking done. Done's as I is. Okay, I have to say this. <clears throat> I, like, my my dream role would be to be in one of the Game of Thrones shows, okay? Mm. Like, House of Dragon or, like, the Jon Snow sequel series or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like... I would have to work so fucking hard, not on, like, any of the other shit. Like, you know, everything else involved with that, I'd be fine with. Sword fighting, I already know how to do that. Fucking horse riding, I'd be fine. Fucking British accent would fuck me so hard. It's difficult, man. It's difficult, especially when you're as stupid as me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did that Irish play a couple years ago, and they had me doing an Irish accent. And they were literally zero fucking help. Oh. And the guy wanted it so specific. The director was like, I want you from the D4 district of Dublin. Oh, no. And he was like, listen to RTE radio. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to the radio and suddenly learn how to speak like an Irish person. Yeah, uh, that's not going to help when the other media in your life is not. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? No, it was it was incredibly difficult. And he's like, watch this movie. And I watched the movie. I was like, okay, it's a lot to base off the, the whole accent on. Oof. Yeah. Okay, well, every episode on Misfits on Vinyl, mm-hmm. we review an album. We sure do. Sometimes it's one of our favorites. Sometimes it's a popular one. Sometimes it crosses over. And this week, I would say it's pretty much a crossover. Yeah, yeah, this is one I picked. Um, this is one of, like, the biggest albums of the late 2010s. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, like, pop and indie late rock Late 2000s. Music. Sorry, yeah, late 2000s. The late Audis, right? The late Audis. Audis. Yeah. Late Audis. <laughs> um, this is one of the biggest albums from that time, from the late 2000s. It's pretty iconic. Should we do the finger guns yeah, to the- shoot it into place? Pew! It is MGMT's uh, Oracular Spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it took you a while with that one. It took me a while. Yeah, Oracular Spectacular. Which is about arachnids. Yeah, it is. The whole thing. The whole thing. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, this album is the debut studio album by the band MGMT. It was released on October 2nd, 2007 by Red Ink, and physically on January 22nd, 2008 by Columbia. Now, what's interesting about that, this album makes me think of, like, 2011, Mm. because a lot of the songs in this album were used in movies and and things in 2011, and so it's like... This album reminds me so much of high school, despite the fact that it was released, like, five years before mm-hmm. we were listening to it in high school. Yeah, and I know, like, it had a, a couple... 
this album is known for the main tracks, which we'll talk about. The main, yeah. There's three tracks on this album that the album's known for. Um, but, I mean, those are kind of the defining tracks of the sound of that time. And then also going forward, people dipped a lot into this kind of mix of indie pop, electro yeah. sort of mix, um, which became popular. It's a really, really interesting listen. It's a super interesting listen. Uh, it was produced by Dave Friedman, uh, who's known for his work with the Flaming Lips uh, Mo Mogwai, 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 yeah. and Merkov, Mercury Rev, Mercury Rev. Sorry. Fuck, sorry, I couldn't see it. It was so small. Uh, in 2001, uh, he was uh, included on Mojo's 100 Sonic Visionaries list and was described as the Phil Spector of the alt rock era. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ooh. which is not a great comparison. That's why I put it in there. I thought it was funny. Ooh, uh, that yeah, uh, I said yikes is what I put in brackets. Yikes, Ooh. Um, but. You get the point across. Minus the murdering, he's a, a really great um, producer. He's yeah. done a lot of the sound of that time. I mean, he's worked with a lot of other artists. Ween, Spoon, Weezer. He's kind of... Ween is fucking great. Yeah. Washing man, <laughs> take me by the hand, lead me to the sand. Yeah, that's the best uh, track on the SpongeBob movie. That is 100%. Yeah, yeah. the best SpongeBob movie, to be clear, too. 2004 SpongeBob yeah. movie. Um, that's... A really great song. Great song. Um, but yeah, he's been kind of worked with a lot of the big indie rock bands and alt rock bands of the time, um, kind of from like the mid nineties to now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, and this album was recorded from March to April of t- two thousand and seven at Tarbox Road Studios and Context Studios in New York. So what's interesting is this kind of sounds more midwest to me than it does mm-hmm. east coast and it's it's really funny to me that it fucking uh, yeah you know one of the studios is in like a smaller new york town and then the second studio context is in brooklyn yeah um so they they yeah they stuck which that brooklyn with... sound makes sense because like i mean the great big pile of leaves was right around the same time mm-hmm. you know so it's like the there was a lot of that happening yep yeah. Um, okay, so the album was promoted with three singles, Time to Pretend, Electric Feel, and Kids. Both Time to Pretend and Kids were re-recorded for the album. Uh, they were originally included on the band's previous release, Time to Pretend, in 2005. Those are, for sure, my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, the, so Kids is actually even older than that. Kids is like was written like four years before this album wow. came out. And then Time to Pretend was written like three years before this album And it's crazy because Kids was so fucking popular. It charted in 2011. Yeah, and they had already like, they didn't even want to include Kids on the album because they had already played it. They were playing a lot of college bars and stuff like that. They put playing the college scene and they thought the song was beat to death. They were done with it. Yeah, they didn't even want to include it on the album. It's one of their biggest tracks. Fuck, that's wild. Mm-hmm. So, genres include neo-psychedelia, indie pop psychedelia, and pop glam rock. Um, the band has written, uh, had written Kids in Time to pretend yeah. with the purpose of writing some pure pop tracks to sell out as quickly as possible, mocking the pop music sound. By the time they landed the record deal, they had been playing them for two years and did not want to include them on the record. What's really funny about that is they were mocking the pop sound and then ended up reinventing the pop sound yeah they were ta- they were take they were taking the piss is what they said like they were literally fucking around they wanted to write the most you know catchy ear-friendly melodies um and it's like their biggest songs they have to sing them now like fucking 15 years later oh yeah yeah and, so- and like i mean it, honestly like i would say like there's there's other songs from them that have been released in the past like 10 years that mm-hmm. i do like but not nearly as much as I like those songs. Yeah, those those three tracks, Electric Feel, Kids, and Time to Pretend. Um, I think I put it later, so you don't have to read this a little bit. But those three tracks have over 1.5 billion streams. Jesus. And then the other seven tracks on the album have less than 300 million combined. Wow. Yeah, so there's a big weird little shift in this album. Um, which, I mean, the album itself um, has like the first five tracks are fucking awesome. And then the second half of the album kind of teeters off for me personally. Like it's like, um, time to pretend weekend wars, the youth, um, electric feeling kids are the first five tracks of the album. And those are all my favorite tracks on the album. Yeah. And then the second half is kind of loses the momentum. I was going to say that too. Like, it's funny because I looked at your criticism later on and I agree, but I also feel like the, the second half feels like it's going on way too fucking long. And there's also, there's three tracks that sound like they could have been the last song on the album. And so it kind of psyched me out each time that I was listening to it because I was like, is this it? And then I would look and I'd be like, 
Oh, no, we're on to the next yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's a shift in sound and tone, too. They kind of step away from, like, the really catchy pop melodies, and it mm-hmm. kind of more gears towards what they end up doing in the future with their future albums. They do move away from the pop sound. They start diving more into psychedelic rock and um, experimentational music, and they yeah. kind of get away from the catchy melodies. They get away from the, you know, earworm guitar riffs and things like that, and they... So the second half of the album kind of gears more towards that that section. You kind of you can kind of see where it was going. Where a lot of people was like, "Oh, it's such a surprise when they released Congratulations in 2010. It sounds nothing like Oracular Spectacular. There's no you know singles yeah. and blah 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 blah." But that's kind of where they were originally, anyways. Yeah. Um, but they just wanted to. And write. I feel like if you're gonna go like listen to an album of theirs or see them at a show, you're kind of going to. Like, I know a lot of people are going to go just because they want to fucking listen to those three songs, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people that, like, really appreciate the music are going to be going there to listen to, like, what they're going to do live, because it's going to be very different. Yeah, you know? and they're, they're kind of known well as well for their live shows. They usually wear, like, really wacky costumes. Yeah. They're dressed up as, like, Scooby and Daphne, and, like, wear, <laughs> they wear weird shit. Um, you know, they do... They, I mean, they've done a lot of drugs. Uh, they've... They said that like a good chunk of the this album was inspired by ecstasy, uh, so <laughs> there's a, there's a little bit of that involved as well. Uh, but yeah, they make an interesting, weird like this is like a college dorm album that they put together, and you know it ended up being one of the most influential albums in you know indie pop and, genre, and it totally is that sound like that mm-hmm. like it, it's described perfectly. I I forget if it was uh, somewhere in here where it's about uh, like that, that dorm room done. Right. And what I think is funny about that is, is like when you uh, like when you started university, did you not have the kind of, the soundtrack playing in your mind as you're walking around campus for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like that was totally what I was thinking. I was just like, Oh man, this feels like an MGMT album. Yeah. And it's real time. It's weird too. Cause they have like this weird kind of like, cloud and essence of pretentiousness around them <laughs> yeah. like they're like oh yeah we're like we don't like the music industry we're good they're they were not a successful band at the time they're like we're gonna say a fuck you to the music industry and you know just make fun of pop music and you know and then it kind of blew up in their face it did the exact uh you know it did exactly i guess what they wanted it to they wanted to sell out and become big um, almost overnight, and it did happen. Which, in all fairness, anybody who doesn't want to sell out or says they don't want to sell out is a fucking liar. Yeah, like you're full of shit. You're yeah. so full of shit. Like, of course, you want to make money. And you want to make money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, there's artists that literally that's all they set out to do. You look at somebody like Drake. Like Drake has albums that are not that have songs that are not radio friendly. Yeah. But every single album he has, he makes sure there's three or four songs that are going to get hardcore radio yep. play. Um, just because he knows that's how you make your money and how you you know grow your audience as a you know you yeah think drake's got you know hotline bling and fucking one dance um yeah and then he's got other tracks that are actually you know real hip-hop songs so. well and and like you see it so much with pop too mm-hmm. because it's like it, it like for instance like uh this is like kind of calgary specific but tate mccray yeah who is a Billie Eilish clone, you know, it's like, it's literally the exact same thing, but it's because that's popular right now. So it's like, but then you look at how many other people are doing exactly that. And it's like, well, that's everything that's on the radio. Mm -hmm. So people listen to it and they go, Oh fuck, I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. And you make so much money doing that. You'd be dumb not to people often. I think people like think that, Oh, like a pop hit or a smash hit. Like people, sometimes I think even I've been naive about it. It's like, oh, it happens by accident. Yeah. Or it happens by you know, oh, there's like this one moment where pop music and you know we rewrite the biggest chart topper of all time. No, it's purposeful. It's purposeful. Uh, even like fucking Nickelback, they've been having a moment right now, and they talked about how you know they didn't want to write music that wasn't going to get played on the radio. Yeah. They wanted to write songs that are going to get them famous and big. Yeah. They want to get record deals. They want to sell out stadiums, and they go in with the mindset that I'm going to write, you know, this is how you remind me. I'm going to write this as a smash hit record. It doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. No. And and it's also really funny because that song specifically, that example, that because that was what made them famous and hated at the same time mm-hmm. because it was played every fucking hour on every single rock station across the world. So there, like for a period of a year there, you could not turn on a station and not hear them. Yep. So, the, you know, like those are things that like, you know, are calculated. They're very calculated. 
which I mean, back to MGMT, they're trying to do that. They're trying to do the formula, but they do it differently yeah. than anybody else. And it, and it, yeah, like we said, it redefined uh, like the indie pop music scene and it redefined indie pop getting regular radio play. Yeah, like um, Electric Feel was the song of the year of two thousand eight for NME. So like they they wrote you know, these really massively popular songs making fun of pop music. Yeah. And then they also ended up making a bunch of clones and other music <laughs> bands after them that are extremely inspired by this, you know, this prank or whatever they were playing at this time. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a really interesting little thing. And like I said, it's kind of clouded in pretentiousness uh, a little bit. They, they, you, sometimes you listen to them talk and they're, you know, they're like, we don't make music for, you know, the mainstream audience. They don't exactly say that quote for quote, but we're like, we don't make music for pop listeners anymore. It's like, like, okay, but, you know, why not dive into the thing that you're really good at? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, 100%. Okay, so, about the artist. Mm-hmm. So, the band consists of principal members Ben Goldwasser, uh, who is vocals, keyboard, sampling, rhythm guitar, and percussion, and Andrew Van Wingarden, uh, lead vocals, lead and rhythm guitars, keyboard, bass guitar, drums, and percussion. Uh, they met while attending Wesleyan University, and it is said, We weren't trying to start a band, remarked Goldwasser. Uh, we were just hanging out and showing each other music that we liked. V- uh, Van Wingarden uh, named Talking Heads and Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark uh, OMD as artists who were definitely in their blood. That makes sense yep. completely. Uh, especially Talking Heads, you can really fucking see this album too. They took inspiration. I think I know they said from Bowie. Um, they like Talking Heads. A lot of the '80s synth pop. Yeah. Um, scene. They took a lot of inspiration from that when writing this album. Which honestly, like, I think that my favorite music is a lot of the stuff that uses like inspiration from either '80s mm. synth pop or '80s new wave. You know, yeah. that... we both have a bit of a soft spot for w- yeah. Um, for '80s synth pop and '80s like. I mean, like the early. I know I have a bit of a sauce for like the early beginnings of alt rock. Yeah. Your cure, your, oh god. Your Pixies, all that sort of stuff. The it's early... Friday. I'm mm-hmm. in love. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, the early alt rock scene that ended up, you know, inspiring a lot of the bands we've talked about as well. Um, in the t- mid two thousands, um, we both have a big soft spot. For oh that. yeah. Um, and I know synth pop specifically, we do. Yeah. Um, so that's a. Uh, it's makes sense why we like this album. A hundred percent. In two thousand and two, the duo attended the inaugural Bonnaroo together as fans. Inspired by the festival, they formed the band under the uh, uh, under the name The Management. Uh, Van Wingarden said he planned to study the natural sciences of astronomy, but meeting Goldwasser changed his whole life course. In the early years, the band experimented with noise rock and electronica. They would play house parties, often just fucking around. (laughs) Once at the party, they improvised over the Ghostbusters theme for over an hour. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said, man. They're kind of like these weird, like they're fucking a little weird. Like, yeah, they were playing a house party. They just did the Ghostbusters, like fucking around over the Ghostbusters. And you know, they're, they're doing all these, they have all these fucking, uh, you know, drum machines and they, they use a lot of electronic instruments or using synths and stuff like that. So they're just fucking around over Ghostbusters. They just remind me of like the, the like really annoying alt comedian that Mm. does something fucking weird. And you're like, this is so annoying. And then they keep doing it and then it gets funny. That's what it seems like they did. They they kept doing it until it got good. (laughs) They're like, they're like the, they're kind of like the Andy Kaufman of, uh, of, uh, indie pop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they released two demo albums. Uh, we don't care. And, Climbing to new lows under the name The Management, but since the name was already being used by another band, they later changed it to MGMT, a disembowelment of the original band name. Uh, I don't like disembowelment. As a word. They also said that it make stands for Make Good Music Today. Yeah, that's I've one heard thing that I've one. heard as well. Yeah. It stands for that. Um, but I mean, the name The Management is kind of lame. It is. So it MGMT is, lame. is much better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at Wesleyan, they were schoolmates of Francis of the and the Lights, with whom they have since toured. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Francis. He also does the synth pop thing. Um, yeah. So it makes it, sense that they're friends and they. Yeah. I fucking love Francis and the mm-hmm. Lights. Yeah, I do too. It's okay to cry. Oh, Will you take my hand? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to cry. Watch that. And the two is spelled 
with the with the number with the number yeah it's a really good you i don't know if you've ever listened to that I have. it's off yeah that song fucking awesome really good i make you feel better babe better babe <laughs> mm, there's an easier way to say this <laughs> <laughs> okay van wingarden and goldhauser graduated in 2005 and toured extensively in support of the time to pretend ep Released in the same year, opening for indie pop band uh, of Montreal. Of Montreal. Yeah, sorry. Okay. My my writing there. I told you I did it on my phone, so it might be a little chaotic. That's okay. Uh, I'm just dyslexic and stupid, so it's mm. hard. <laughs> that makes two of us. That makes two of us with the number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Time to pretend. Time to pretend. After this tour, they considered disbanding and moving on with their careers, possibly joining other bands. In the autumn of 2006, Maureen Kenny signed the band to Columbia Records when the band received a call from A&R Department of Columbia Records saying they were interested in their music. They thought it was a joke. Yeah. Which is fair. I, uh, <laughs> I, I know what it's like to have imposter syndrome. Yeah. It fucking sucks. I, I constantly, whenever I get asked to do anything, I'm just like, me? Me? Yeah, me. You sure? Yeah. Really? No, I've I've felt that. I mean, I think everybody feels that in a good chunk of their life. I, and if you don't feel it, you're not, I don't think, in a good place mentally. You're a dickhead. You're a dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, Facts. you are, uh, you're not, you're not uh, eating that humble sandwich like I fucking do every single morning when the I look o- in the, the mirror. The only time I feel really at home is when I'm sitting in front of this microphone with you, Spencer. That's me, too. I don't feel like an imposter. I don't feel like an imposter here, either. I feel like that's uh, what, you know, gets us all of these listeners, is <laughs> yes. the fact that we're so real. <laughs> we're 100% real 100% of the time. We're like, we're like... We're like the fighter and the kid. Yeah. Without brain damage. Yeah, without Brendan Shaw. <laughs> without Brendan Shaw. Yeah. Or don't Brian Callen. Don't give me started on Brendan Shaw. The old gringo <laughs> poppy. Yeah. Oh, man. I've I, never done comedy, but I can tell you what. I could write a better fucking hour than gringo poppy. Dude, I feel yeah. like anybody could. It's uh, it, That's cringy shit. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'm trying to think of a really boring human being. Um do you have any ideas? I mean, I do, but I feel like if I say them, they're going to be offended. You know what I, I mean? Like a, uh, David Attenborough could yeah. write a better... David Attenborough is funny, though. No, He's got true. that cheeky British that's sense true. of humor. He does. Um, I was going to say like like a controversial figure, but I don't want to. Um, I'll say um, Pippi Longstocking can write a, a, more, a better special than fucking Brendan Schraub. We should, we should put this as a call to action. Yeah. Right underneath this episode, who is a better comedian than Brendan Schraub? Yeah, Schaub? I'm kind of blanking right now because it's like <laughs> I'm clearly not a better comedian than Brendan Schraub because <laughs> I'm not good on my toes right now. You're not good on your toes, but that's okay because uh, he isn't either. That's why he got knocked out so fucking much. I know. I was going to say, there's a lot of great compilations of him getting knocked the fuck out. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, dude. And you know what? I have to say this. It is impressive because there's not a lot of people who can say that they've been knocked the fuck out and have the two lowest rated comedy specials on IMDb. Well, the weird thing too now, he's kind of like slowly falling into alcoholism and he's like kind of like crashing and burning. Yeah. You know what it is? Like, it's kind of fun to watch. It is a little, it's a little fun to watch. He's, he's dude. You know what he is? You know what he is? He's the fucking Aaron Carter of comedy. <laughs> yeah. Dude. That's actually not a bad point. Because he was just around people who were, like, really good, mm-hmm. and nobody told him no, and then he, like, for five minutes was doing the big fucking big show, and then uh, it all fucking petered away well, quickly. Joe, Joe Rogan had that intervention with him about getting out of MMA. I think he's due for one for comedy. Yeah, I feel, yeah. Like, I feel like there's got to be people telling him that. Yeah, because probably not because he hangs out with Brian Callen. Well, he's also paying Brian Callen to be on his podcast right now. I've been actually watching so much YouTube beef lately. (laughs) Holy shit. I got to I got to say this. My recommendation for a podcast for anybody out there. Who are these podcasts? Mm. They basically take the Opie and Anthony Jocktober when like ONA would like fucking pick a terrible radio show yeah. and then listen to the terrible radio show and then like make fun of it. Nice. They do that but with podcasts. That's good. And they've been tearing apart Opie, they've been tearing apart Stuttering John, they've been tearing apart uh the fighter and the kid. It's so funny, dude. Maybe one day we'll get on there. I you know what? I would be so honored that's if they what I, that's what us. I that's what I aspire to. I would actually be so honored. Yeah. I would I would not be upset if they reviewed 
reviewed us. Also, everybody that they reviews gets a huge fucking spike in listeners. So, so review us, fuckers. Review us, please. Yeah. Uh, after the success of their debut album, they began to tour <laughs> extensively, opening for Paul McCartney, Radiohead, Beck, and MIA, and went on the festival scene. In 2010, they released Congratulations to Mixed Reviews and ventured towards more progressive and experimental music. During this time, they also featured on the track Pursuit of Happiness by Kid Cudi, which is amazing because I didn't actually know that yeah, until sing, right now. Yeah, they sing the chorus. Wow. Yeah, and they have a weird like little hip-hop connection, to A lot of um, guys in hip-hop really like MGMT. Uh, Frank Ocean talks about how much he likes him. He's more R&B, but how much he likes yeah, MGMT. Yeah. Nipsey Hussle has collabed with MGMT. Uh, Kid Cudi has shouted out MGMT like in tracks. Um, they just got a weird. They got a weird connection to the hip hop scene. Man on the Moon might be one of my favorite hip hop albums mm-hmm. of all time. So I would love to do that one on the pod. Yeah, that would point. be a fun one. That'd yeah. be a fun one. I, I really do like Kid I, Cudi. I really like that. I like Kid Cudi, and I really love that album. Uh, MGMT followed up "Congratulations" with a sp- string of remix albums and EPs before dropping their self-titled album in 2013. They released Little Dark Age in 2018 after a hiatus. I listened to that before uh, you came to Toronto. Yeah. That was my that was my summer album for uh, that that time of my life where I was just fucking longboarding to the beach and playing Earthbound on the SNES. See, I do like that album quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Sam actually mentioned to me on the way over here is interesting. He was like, yeah, the one thing about that album is like, when you listen through all the track lists all the way through, um, you know, it's not quite cohesive. So him and uh, Savian had spent time like making the perfect order. Really? Yeah. And he said it made a huge difference in the listening experience. Of the really? Album. It went from like a six out of 10 to an eight out of 10 easy. Like, mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. I should find, I should try and find that. Like it's on like Savian has it on his Google. That's whatever. so cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, okay. So, uh, last thing here, the bands uh, move away from their pop sounds on uh, Oracular Spectacular has caused a divide within their own listeners, uh, alienating the more mainstream pop community, but g- garnering them a more devoted fan base, which honestly, I think a devoted fan base is more important in the end. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of where they've stripped, they've gone away from the critical acclaim because they're their other albums have not received extremely positive reviews and they've talked about it too. Yeah. That, you know, that they're doing something different. They're not going to sit and do the pop thing. That's not what they want to do. Well, and it also makes sense because, uh, the pop thing, you know, we've talked about it. We were talking about it before about how like it's so calculated, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's so not long lasting because like even even if you are very calculated and everything, there's very few people who can fucking maintain that level of of uh, fame and consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I honestly do think it is better to have a more devoted fan base, and I think that we're we're living in an era where we're kind of losing the whole like you know celebrity idea, right? Yeah. Like there's, I I think that we're gonna see a lot of acts that do. Uh, the festivals and and maybe theaters, but I think stadium tours are gonna probably fucking die off in the next like ten years. Apart from like the really big people who are kind of grandfathered in, mm-hmm. I that's my personal thought. Well, even the state of pop music now is so different because with TikTok ga- gaining popularity, songs will get popular for like a ten second clip of the song. Yeah, um, I watched a compilation recently on YouTube where it's like do you know this song? And they were playing, you know, popular songs off of TikTok, but they weren't pay- playing the section that the sound bit that got popular. And like a lot of them were unrecognizable. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of them you're like, Oh, this is the same song. Um, so there's this weird shift now to clippable sections of pop music where they have one quotable line or one section that's extremely catchy um, is becoming like, Really, really, really popular. Going back to Drake scene. for a second here. Yeah. Kiki, yeah. do you love me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even that, that one guy um, that does that, The one I forget the name of the song, but it's like, um, oh, fuck, I'm blanking on it. I'm trying to sing it in my head. I'm a pretty boy, Mick Lovin. You know the one that's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice Summer, Ice Summer. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah. I forget the name. It's Stunning or whatever it's called. Uh, no, it's called Stunning. Yeah. I'm a pretty boy. I'm stunning. Supersonic, I'm running. Yep. Super speed, I'm running, running. Yeah, that little clip, that whole song sucks. That little clip, I guess, is good, and it got really popular, but they play that on the radio because he's Canadian. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that whole song sucks, dude. Like, uh, that one song, that one bit, I can't say I, I enjoyed it, but that one bit got extremely popular, but the whole track sucks. Okay, now hear me out for a second. We release 
a Misfits on Vinyl pop song. Yeah, we could try to make one, dude. I can't sing. You can't sing. We both can't play music. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we're gonna we got a head start. We just need that ten second. We yeah. just need that ten second piece true. that could be clipped. True. We could write something quite catchy. We could do something catchy. Yeah. Sam Sam plays drums. It's true. Drum machine. <laughs> That's the drum. And he used to have a synthesizer in his garage. Yeah. A what? A synthesizer. I had a like old school synth from the eighties. Yeah. Like I used to have a full thing. Dude, I I mine. I have one that is at my parents' place, there so we, we could get it. We're about to write the next big synth pop ten second clip. Yep. Yeah. And it's gonna be on all of Canadian radio. Yeah. You know how we were talking about the Arkells, how you couldn't change the station without hearing mm-hmm. them. That's what we're gonna be. Nice. Can't we're wait. gonna we're gonna even break over into country. Can't wait. I I so ecstatic for this idea. I am so stoked on you it. You hear it in my voice. How excited, dude! I am. We are both <laughs> over the moon. Yeah. About making music. Yeah. Beautiful I music. I can't wait. We're gonna do your <laughs> fucking power chord. Smoke on the water. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny to me that like. I, 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 A, had the confidence to suck that bad. Oh, you were bad. I was so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, it was bad. You, next time, just play Ode to Joy. That's the other one everybody learns straight what away. What the fuck is that one? Ode to Joy. Do, 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 do. No, I can't even do it. What is it? Fucking, um, do, 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 Yeah, no. No, you don't know Ode to Joy. I I would play it on my phone, but I want to get copyright. Oh God, fuck yeah, you! Yeah, we got fucking, we got fucking, we didn't get a copyright strike, but we got a copyright notice for fucking playing YG. Yeah, fucking uh, lifestyle. So YouTube, <laughs> suck my dick, because fuck you. <laughs> Uh, I was singing over YG, and YG can't, like, I don't even know how they made out that it was YG because he doesn't make any fucking sense on the song. Can't even make out what the words are saying, which is the point of why I put it on the fucking mic. So, fuck you, YouTube, and your <laughs> copywriting. Uh, I don't even want AdSense revenue. Um, yeah, not that we're getting any, but fuck you. If I were to get some, I would donate it to fucking charity. So fuck you, YouTube. Thanks. Notable track lists and singles. Yes. yes. Okay. So, <laughs> Electric Feel, mm-hmm. great song. It was uh, in uh, uh, Midnight Club. That was where I discovered it. Nice. Uh, time to pretend. It was fucking everywhere yep. for a long time. Kids. It was in almost every fucking movie about teenagers mm-hmm. in the uh, uh, and s- same with the youth actually in like the uh, early 2010s yeah kids also like they got some hip hop remixes as well yeah, yeah and- it was also on Beavis and Butthead mm-hmm. in the in the reboot in 2011 the beat from kids got used like multiple times in hip hop which is fair mm-hmm. I think you're off t- t- key but I couldn't do Ode to Joy so I, I don't blame you like the Muppets sing MGMT Uh, and Weekend Wars yeah Weekend Wars The Youth is my favorite song on this album Um, I think the other ones I've listened to way too much and the only one that ever I actually have in a rotation is The Youth that's fair yeah All right, Reception Mm -hmm. the album received mostly positive reviews from critics 76 out of 100 on Metacritic All Music 4.5 out of 5 Pitchfork gave it a 6.8 out of 10 which that one's weird uh, Prefix Magazine described the album as a college dorm experiment gone horribly right. Matt Flander of Pop Matters criticized the second half of the album, writing, Second half of the record settles into a more monotone kind of space rock that is as big as the, uh, that is as big as the better first half, but gives no recognizably distinct songs or catchy melodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Enemy named it the best album of 2008. And they received Grammy nominations for Best New Artist, Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group, including uh, vocals for... Including vocals is the... Oh, yeah. including vocals yeah, for the track Which kids. isn't a category anymore. That um, doesn't exist anymore. And they didn't win. Um, but one interesting thing... Of, oh, fuck, I'm kind of forgetting what I was saying. But one interesting thing about th- this, um, the criticisms and stuff like that... Oh, fuck, I blanked on my... I had something in mind and I blanked on it. It was... Oh, the Rolling Stone thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Rolling Stone named it uh, 494, uh, number 494, top 
500 albums of all time. And then the top, it was number 18 on the top uh, albums of the 2000s. Really? Uh, yeah, from Rolling Stone. Wow. So it's got some, uh, it's a bit of a critical darling. I did put some bad reviews or some mixed reviews on it just to kind of balance it out. Yeah, but yeah. most of them were, uh, most of all the other music publications were giving it between four and five stars. Um, we should do our 500 albums of all time because yeah, it'll be, lot, it'll lot be better work. than uh, Rolling Stones. It'll be a lot of fucking work though. Yeah, but it would be so easy for for us yeah, i know if we don't do it in order yeah not in order but in order would be okay too it would be a we'd have to do it with the three of us we'd yeah have to fucking seriously put we'd our have to collab. seriously think about it yeah yeah and then we'd have to fucking find someone that wants to publish our opinions well i mean we just self-publish yeah fuck our instagram would become a mess though dude <laughs> dude 500 posts yeah. about albums holy fuck Fuck. Yeah, man. Dude, Jesus Christ. I don't have the time for that shit. I don't have the patience for no, that either. No. That would actually be really funny, though, if we did that on April Fool's. <laughs> the top 500 albums. Top 500 albums. <laughs> we all pick bad albums. And it's it's all Smash Mouth. They don't have 500 albums, but we could probably find, you know, at least we could do at least 20 Smash Mouth and Smash Mouth adjacent albums. Yeah. Then we have a Creed section. Then we have... With arms wide open. With arms wide open. And then we have that Joe Pesci album. And then oh. we have... Uh, I think we could probably make a list of the 500 best albums of all time. I'm sure that we could, but, yeah. like, holy fuck. Uh, there's... Honestly, we could grab a few from my collection that are absolute duds that I yeah. was just given. That I was like, eh, I'll fucking keep this. Yeah, there's <laughs> Saskatchewan Presbyterian Choir. <laughs> Uh, with the hottest releases. Actually, I do have the Swift Current Fiddlers. Yeah, I knew yeah. you had something like that. Yeah, that one, that one was great, though. <laughs> Number one of I will five. say that actually was pretty fucking... That one's a banger. It's from 1989, and uh, everybody is featured on the back. Mm. Uh, there's a big picture on the front of them all standing together in front of a church with their fiddles. It's fucking actually pretty amazing. I should actually show it on the next uh, uh, like episode. The fiddlers in front of the home of the diddlers. The- <laughs> uh, All right, let's clue this fucker up. Fiddlers in the goof. Uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> fiddlers in the goof. <laughs> uh, fun fact from Aaron. Van Wingarden yeah. was enemies. Cool list 2008 at number three, just below Jay Z and Alice Glass. Also, I'm gonna I let you go on the whole episode, but it's Van Weingarten. Van Wingarden? Van Weingarten. Van Wingarden? Yeah, close enough. But yeah, he got named number three of the coolest people of the year. Van Wingarden? Yeah, that's good. Van Weingarten. Yeah. Why is there not a fucking I and an E there then? I don't know. I think that's how it's pronounced. That's. Wingarden makes way more sense because it, it looks like the Wingate Hotel. I watched YouTube videos and they all pronounced it Wine Garden. I fucking god damn it! I hate names. It's okay. I forgive you. I sure when he listens to this episode, he'll forgive you too. I'm sure he will. Yeah. Uh, okay, so That's like when we had the guy from Great Big Pile of Leaves, it's Tyler's. It was a Susie, or and we were pronouncing it Saucy. Yeah, yeah, and then yep. he even said it in this thing. It's like it's Tyler's. Susie. But in all fairness, we recorded the episode yes. before, and there's also I, I will say that is one thing that our podcast can claim we're the only ones that have a fucking recorded interview with any of them yeah that's pretty cool because all of the other ones are in print so the fact that we were even close (laughs) with this name before actually because we flip-flopped between uh saucy and susie yeah and which it was very cool and i don't know i don't know we really explained it properly but we pre-recorded our questions yeah and our response i mean it was pretty obvious our responses were pre-recorded but yeah he just responded to them and we had no idea what he's gonna say um no fucking clue so it wasn't like a live interview like we've done with the vetoes and the doohickeys and whatnot yeah and and forest shot so it was a little bit of a different experience and and honestly like if we can get that with another cool artist i would i would be down to do that again because it Mm -hmm. was fun it was cool. It, it was, was cool. It is cool that to have one of the bands we both really like yeah. have one of the only recorded audio uh, interviews. Dude, and, and like honestly, uh, it makes me really happy that they were willing to be a part of it because it just made me love them that much more. Did you just, you just email I'm, them? I'm starting to, no, I fucking Instagrammed them. Nice. I'm starting to glow again. Yeah, that's uh, good. I like it when you glow. All right, so let's get into the review of the album. Mm-hmm. So... Every episode, we review it out of 10 on technical element, musical element, lyrics, reception, album art, and does it hold up. Uh, technical element. 
I I mean, okay, it's very unique for its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were incorporating uh, a lot of they were doing a lot of what like late '80s alt groups were mm-hmm. doing in terms of their mix of electronica and. Uh, or, or a, a, like, you know what I mean? Like Elect- it, electronic synths and rock music and, rock and guitar. Music, yeah. yeah. Um, they, it, it sounds mi- like it's mixed really well. Mm. I, there's like a few notes that are kind of pitchy in it, but like, it's not enough that it would take me out of it. You know what I mean? No, I think it's uh technically, I mean, they're even later on, they do more weird technical stuff. They're good musicians. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not, like they said, they were simpling it down or making simple music for the pop charts, it still sounds very good. It's still technically sharp. Yeah. Um, I saw some, there's like a, a behind-the-scenes recording of them making Electric Feel, and originally the gu- guitars were, like, even more prominent, and it sounded really fucking good. Really? Yeah, it sounded a little different. The guitars were louder, and they had a little more, like, a, a lower tone to them, and it sounded really, really, really good. Damn. Um, but I think, technically, it's a strong album. I mean, it's not going to say... I'm not going to say it blows me out of the water. Um, and one thing I'm going to keep in mind with this album as well is, like, yeah, the big tracks are awesome. The first five tracks are awesome. But to, you have to take and you know, the other five tracks as well and kind of give it a, you know, an honest rating because, you know, I would listen to the first five tracks on repeat over and over and over, but I found it a little challenging to get to the second half of the album. And I, you know, listened to this album would have been like 2012. I was really listening to this and exploring MGMT um, when I was like in late junior high school. And (laughs) MDMT. Not in junior high. (laughs) Um, I don't even think that's MDMT. I don't think that's a, is that a drug? MDMT? Isn't it? Why are we looking at me? <laughs> I don't know. You <laughs> seem like MDMA. You know, I think is what. Yeah, you MDMA meant. is a drug, but MDMT. DMT. DMT is a drug. MDMT is something with like fertilizer. <laughs> ah, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, DMT is a drug. Um, MDMA is a drug. MDMA is a drug. So MDMT is when you combine both. Yeah, but I would. MDMT uh, minimum design metal temperature. Nice. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I have, so I, you were experimenting with welding? Not at that point in my life. Mm. Um, <laughs> that, that came later on. Those, those were the bad years. Um, but yeah, just keeping that in mind, I guess. I don't know. I can't. Even, I lost my train of thought. Uh, okay. So technical element, I'd probably give it like a seven and a half out of ten. Yeah, I, I was more in at a seven. I'll yeah. go seven on it. So seven point two five musical element. Musically, it's really uh, good for the first half. Uh, the second half, it goes on a little too long. It's extremely but, catchy. But it uh, is. It is still uh technically good uh like musicianship you know mm-hmm. there's something too i was gonna say there's something about the chord progression pr- progression in fucking kids that is like makes you kind of sad oh yeah like there's the way it's like it really hits you um it's super cool like that like you hear it and it's like yeah it's like an upbeat like people will dance to that track or and whatever. you've seen the music video right mm-hmm. fucking it, wildly terrifying yeah i mean it's that track's like whatever like like your late nineties, early two thousands child growing up yeah. sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, that chord progression has got this weird sadness to it, even though it's been used in like dance tracks or remix to you know, like Tiesto's got a remix of it. Yeah. It, you know, it's, yeah, it's oddly hits you and it's got this overall t- tone of blue, it, blueiness. Um, <laughs> W-D-W-D-I. Yeah. But yeah, it was green. I would um, die. Yeah, I don't know. I really I, there's something special about those those five tracks um, that you know have long lasted like you know time, and it probably will be continued. Um, you know, getting lessons for a very very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what would you give it out of ten? A musical? Yeah, yeah. I'm going at least an eight. I think I think I'm an eight, a strong eight, maybe eight and a half. Yeah, I would I would go a I would go a solid eight. Yeah, because like, where it hits, it really hits. It really hits. And so yeah. we're at we're at about an eight right now. Lyrics. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of lyrics on the album that I don't know. Yeah. Because there's a lot of uh, songs where it's kind of just like, Neh. like you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would probably I would go a little lower on lyrics, but the only reason that I I have to bump it up a bit is because like the lyrics that you can hear are fucking great. Yeah, well, some of the stuff they do too is like they're like the like time to pretend they're kind of just like talking about 
well, they're kind of talking about what it's going to be like when they're rock stars and pretending to be like rock stars, like find some models and like taking heroin in Paris and all this sort of shit. Like they're just fucking kind of fucking around with what they're saying. I mean, electric feels about having sex outside. Yeah. Like there's like, they're like <laughs> it's pretty fucking, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think lyrics is the strongest point of the album. I think the, the melodies in the, um, you know, catchy courses are, but I, I'll go like a seven on the lyrics. I think is fine. I yeah, think I, like I would probably go a six on the lyrics. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so we're at like a seven and a half now out of ten. Reception, it was received well. It was, mm. you know, for the most part, it was it was seventy six out of a hundred. Yeah, I'd Metacritic. say a seven's fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, album art. Uh, I mean, it's it's all right. It, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like it's not like it's a because this is like kind of the turning point where it was like. It, it it was a lot of digital at the time, so yeah. I don't think they really gave a fuck at all. Uh, and it kind of shows because it's just two dudes standing there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think it's anything iconic. Um, I mean, the the purple is nice, I suppose. Yeah. Like, the background is nice, and they're wearing kind of wacky costumes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd go mid on it, too. I'd go six on it. Yeah. Six or a seven. Yeah, I'd go probably six on it. Okay. So we're we're at like a, a 6.5, but does it hold up? I'd say yes. I'd say absolutely. I think we got to give it a bit more of a – it's got to be a bit higher, I think, than a 6.5. Yeah, I'd say just like a the, seven. Yeah, I think a seven yeah. is fair just for the – iconic value of these songs they yeah. still get radio play there's you know they're still and they hold up like they really, really do, hold, do hold, up. hold up and yeah. they they created an entire generation of, of listeners. yeah it's almost the, the those three tracks you could you know if you were to talk to people about oh yeah like what were you listening to in like 2008 to 2012 yeah. i'm sure uh, i'd say maybe 80 out of 100 people would list one of the three songs off this fucking album. Oh, yeah. 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 So I'd say it does really hold up. I think a seven is really fair. Even a 7.25 would really do it justice, but I'm happy with a seven. I think that's a fair rating for it. Yeet. Yeet. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Misfits on Vinyl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, please get tickets to my tour. Yeah. And, uh, like we we were supposed to do a call to action at the start of the show, we'll do it now. Um, if you've made it this far, uh, if you guys want us to listen to out, uh, listen to uh, your recommendations and review your recommendations on the show, fucking let us know. We'd yeah. love to do it. Send us a message. Send us an email. DM us. Um, do all the fun things like that because we'd love to review albums that the audience wants to hear. Because right now we just kind of pick and choose. We pick and choose. Um, so yeah, let us know. Um, let us know what you think. Like and subscribe. Um, like my butthole <laughs> and uh, anal contusions. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Stryker and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's misfitsonvinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.